Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 76 of Compliance Into the Weeds. This is the podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into a compliance topic, literally going into the weeds to explore a topic each week. This week, we begin what will no doubt be a multi-part exploration of the Facebook Cambridge Analytica imbroglio. Today we focus on, though, the response of Facebook to its chief information security officer's request to speak directly to and have a reporting line directly to senior management. He had been uh, reporting to the general counsel, and the general counsel did not want him reporting up. It speaks to the role of a compliance officer who wants to have a direct reporting line to a board or senior executives. And it also speaks to what happens when the general counsel's office controls the information flow to senior executives. It's a fascinating exploration of corporate governance and corporate ethos about uh, security and the differences between the compliance function and the legal function. It's a fascinating exploration. I know you'll enjoy it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic each week, literally going into the weeds to fully geek out. And boy, we have a fun one today. And it's based on Matt's blog post, uh, the core ethics challenge in Facebook's flop. So, Matt, with that, you want to set the stage on this for us? Yeah, sure. So, I have been watching this meltdown, for lack of a better word, with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, and that news that Facebook had basically allowed Cambridge Analytica and its henchmen. I'm not even sure I fully understand all of the players here. Um, you know, walk away with personal data of more than 50 million Americans that they then use to build up the strategy for the Trump campaign and all of these allegations and suspicions that were they also working with the Russians or were they not? Were the Russians using Facebook separately than what Cambridge Analytica was doing? And, you know, we could talk about that till the cows come home. However, I think the most important tale. The, the best symbol of all of how this went wrong was uh, the story the New York Times had last week about the chief information security officer at Facebook, Alex Stamos, who decided last week that he is leaving the company because he disagrees with how Facebook has been handling this from the start, I think from almost as soon as he arrived in 2016. And the New York Times laid it all out, like what Stamos realized about Russian interference when he was putting it together and how he was trying to raise that concern to senior Facebook executives who basically shot him down and the legal and PR and senior leadership uh, teams at Facebook all said, no, we're not going to, to admit this to the public until the public found out anyways. And we all knew that the Russians were working on this. And then came the news on February, I'm sorry, on March 17th that Cambridge Analytica really had just fleeced the personal data of so many millions of Americans who probably had no idea this was happening, would not have allowed it, would not have consented to it, and probably are not comfortable that 
analytics about their data or were part of what put Donald Trump into office and which a great many people are not comfortable with. Um, so it was quite the tale, but the way that Stamos tried to raise the alarm and was silenced to the point that he eventually had to, to seek out greener pastures, I guess he's leaving in the summer. It's really, that's the cautionary tale and the symbol here. So Matt, if I could just add a, a part on that uh, I had uh, also picked up from the story was that in uh, January of 2018, Mr. Stamos, who led a department of approximately 147 people, had his department uh, right-sized out from under him, and he now supervises mm-hmm. three people. And so it really led me to believe was he uh, retaliated against for raising this issue, and is his departure um, along the lines more of uh, resignation to pursue other opportunities uh, rather than... Um, some other type of leaving. And I guess we don't know the answer to that as yet, but it, it raises, and you raise uh, some really interesting questions about uh, the ethical culture of um, Facebook. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cambridge Analytica uh, imbroglio uh, in terms of compliance in a minute. But uh, the other, the, the part that I found frankly most interesting about your piece was that it's not just doing business in compliance now. It's doing business in a way that your reputation is protected. And that is far beyond what even I think a best practices compliance program was designed to, uh, to prevent, detect, and remediate. Uh, because that's what the market wants. That's what employees want. That's what other stakeholders want. And that's what the market demands uh, and we saw the market sanction Facebook to the extent of some $70 billion of loss. And and even 2.5% of the overall uh, New York Stock Exchange went down. So pretty severe sanctioning. Well, you know, what stuck out to me as uh, the New York Times was laying out the various alarms Stamos was trying to, to raise was in December of 2017, uh, Stamos, who had already been saying, the Russians were all over this. We have a big problem. We should be talking about it. In December of 2017, Stamos proposed that he report directly to Facebook senior executives, such as either Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer. And why didn't he already? Because he reports to the general counsel. And when I saw that, I was like, Ugh, that is just such a bummer to read because how Facebook conducts itself and you know what itself is, itself is nothing more than data. Data on what, two billion or so Facebook users now. That is the core of the business and keeping it secure is an imperative that is at least equal to the legal liability questions that swirl around Facebook every day. It is not subordinate to it. But as soon as he said, get me away from legal, let me be independent and bring these issues straight to senior leaders, they gave him the deep freeze, like you said. And compliance and ethics officers, I am sure, will feel some sympathy for Alex Stamos because that happens to them all the time, too. And I know it, and you all know it, because you call me and Tom and you tell us about it, that you see some misconduct, you see an ethical concern, you want to raise it, and the lawyers put you in the deep freeze. And it happens all the time. And look at the consequences when it happened here at Facebook. That was what really jarred me about this whole situation. 
So really, and the other thing you point out is that uh, it's preserving brand value that is so critical now, certainly over the, the past few scandals we've seen in the corporate world. And that is really intertwined, with, as you say, preserving trust. And trust is based on a set of uh, shared core values that guide everyone's behavior. And now we're seeing the marketplace really sanction companies for that violation of trust. I, th- I think that we are. Yeah, I, I laid it out, like you said, in that basically equation of a sentence there that if preserving brand value which is what boards say they want to do if preserving the value is intertwined with preserving trust which is what we all talk about when we publish these big thought leadership surveys of two zillion ceos what's on your mind generating public trust keeping it here well trust is based on core values that guide everybody's behavior you know i tom i trust you stop at a red light you trust i do Um, then really what we're saying is the foundation of brand value is protecting shared values. And my sticking point with the legal department is that that is not what the legal department is charged with doing. The legal department is charged with reducing legal liability, and they're often very good at it. But that is a cold-blooded, factual, logical analysis. It's fine to do it. But then after that, you need to layer on what are these shared ethical values that all humans have. And when you group them all together with a common paycheck, it's a company. But nonetheless, core common values we all have, they are on top of legal. They are not before legal. They, you know, And that's why I kidded around with a, a kind of a radical idea, so to speak, is well, why not have legal report into ethics and compliance? Because protecting that generates trust. And that's what's going to matter from here in the future. And um when you try it the other way around, that's the Facebook way. And look at what happened to Facebook. You know, it's interesting, Matt. Uh, this past week, Wei Chen uh, posted on her Bloomberg column uh, seven indicia of a compliance program uh, that was designed to fail or was deigned to fail. And one of her indicia was that the compliance program simply uh, tried to f- prevent violations of the FCPA. And that, to me, really tied into what you articulated here, that it's much broader than compliance with any specific law. And if we now have uh, the equation, as you've laid it out, that preserving brand value is equated with preserving trust, and if you violate either one of those, you're going to have a negative uh, financial sanction, that I think companies really need to rethink um, how they're protecting that, that reputation in a much more holistic way and maybe even more holistic than, you know, an ERM approach. It, that may be so. And I think picking up on an FCPA violation, that's a great example. So, you know, I can see how a lawyer would make a very cogent argument that we should not disclose this FCPA violation. We probably won't get caught. It's cheaper for us just to fix it and never do it again. I am all for having a lawyer on your staff who can make that argument and go ahead and make it persuasively because there are times when that is going to make the financial sense. However, what is financially good sense and what is reputationally and over the long term ethically, and I guess I trust good sense, would be to step forward and admit it anyways because all of us uh, would say that we would prefer somebody own up to a mistake and admit it rather than hide it and cover it up. Um, we would trust the person who owns up to the mistake more than the person who covers it up. Well, if that's true in the person, I don't see why that's not true in the group of people known as the organization. Um, so once the lawyer 
comes up with the argument of why not to disclose, they should shut up and then let the people charged with thinking about what is the best interest of the company, what is the right thing to do with all of our stakeholders. Well, let's decide. And that probably should be, I think, you do disclose, even if it is going to wind up being a financial punch in the nose. Um, and the ethics and compliance officer is going to be somebody who should be in those senior councils trying to make that decision. The, um, the, the lawyer can only take it so far, especially in this new era we have where everything is very inter interdependent. Everything is very fluid and volatile because certainly Facebook was a great company three weeks ago. And look at it now. How much market cap has it seen wiped out? Um, so you need to be thinking more about how do we maintain public trust, even if we, it's going to sting for a little while over the long haul, what do we do? And that's probably tied more to what's the right thing to do than a legal analysis of what is the, the cheapest way to avoid liability thing to do. Matt, from the corporate governance perspective, do you see those questions you've just articulated as uh, falling within the remit of the board to start asking senior management? I think so. Um, somebody's got to ask them. I think it's perfectly fine for the board to force the, for the CEO also to force the board to say, let's talk about this because somebody has to. We're all part of the inner councils of the company. So who else's job is it going to be? Um, I think that the compliance officer can somewhat be a foil to the legal officer that while the legal officer is arguing with a dispassion about what makes the most sense to reduce liability, the ethics officer can talk about what makes the most sense to continue to build trust and preserve you know, public support for a brand. Um, but you can't do that if legal and compliance are one and the same. You can't do it well. Um, and we, you know, meanwhile, of course, I think for some companies, you can make the very same argument with IT security not answering to legal, and Facebook is one of those companies. Um, but all the regulators talk about this, all the investors talk about it. If you go out and you poll public at large, they all talk about the urge to have public trust. And in fact, don't forget, we already do that. The Edelman Trust Report that comes out in every January surveys tens of thousands of people across the world. And they see that public trust in companies has been going down and down and down in the U.S. It is under 50% now for the first time, I think, in it probably ever, but at least in quite a while. Most people now think of companies as untrustworthy. How would you get out from that? By figuring out what are your core values, by talking about them and sticking to them, even when it kind of sucks to stick to them. And even when the general counsel is going to pull their hair out saying, this is going to bring us liability. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just I look at the chaos that has descended upon Facebook in the last week since this news has come out. Um, clearly, they're going to be sued by investors. They're already under investigation by multiple regulators on both sides of the Atlantic. They're going to be sued by state regulators. Um, I wonder how the GDPR and enforcement thereof is going to factor into this because the European Union is looking for an example up until March 17th, I would have said Uber was the lead candidate. Now, I'm not so sure. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a very painful lesson for Facebook to learn just to, to minimize how much liability and to stay in what strict interpretation of fiduciary responsibility, because it doesn't look like it was very responsible now. You know, that's a great point about the European Union, and they're probably very lucky this did not happen after May 25th. 
2018 no when GDPR goes live, but there's still significant liability on board, both sides of the Atlantic. And I think the European Union might certainly move faster in terms of a regulatory regime uh, than the U, uh, either the U.S. regulators or certainly the U.S. Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose uh, some lawyers would pick up on what are the fiduciary responsibilities of the organization shareholders, and we could kick around the niceties of that. However, the average consumer does not deal in those technicalities. The average consumer will not care about them. And sometimes the broader fiduciary responsibility to preserving value is going to mean stepping up and taking the hit on some mistake you made, some misconduct you had. And I think people would recognize it. Um, you know, as I said before in my blog post, imagine the counterfactual where Facebook did the opposite and did what Alex Stamos had argued all along. And they had said from the start, we think this is a big problem. We're not sure how extensive it is. We don't know how to solve it yet. Uh, we think Cambridge Analytica has been taking data and you know, we're not sure if it's legal. If it is legal, then it still sucks. If they had done all of that throughout 2016-17, they would be in such a different position right now. And I would bet the house that they did would not have been losing $100 billion in market cap in less than a week, which is what they have done. Um, so you, just, you have to wonder. It, maybe if they had put ethics uh, a little bit up the higher priority, they wouldn't be where they are, and this is not a good place for them. Well, Matt, this has been a, a fascinating discussion, and I am almost certain it's one that we'll be able to continue uh, down the road. I think so. Thank you, Tom. All right, this is Tom Fox and Matt Kelly for uh, Compliance Into the Weeds with Matt's blog post, The Core Ethics Challenge in Facebook's Flop. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only podcast which takes a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic. Also, if you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week where we take another compliance topic and go into the weeds to explore it in all facets, manners, and intricacies. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.